you remember where you were? I, I feel like this gets used a lot, but you remember where you were when you got the news that the Twin Towers had been hit? You remember that? I feel like all of us that were, you know, yeah, and I know Carol was there. Uh, um, and you remember what that felt like, that we had been attacked. Like, like I had been attacked, you had been attacked, because those towers stood in, represented a lot more than just physical buildings. They stood for values, who we were, freedom. They carried the story of America with them as they came down. And that's exactly what the terrorists wanted, right? That's why they picked the towers, because they were an attack against a value system. They stood in as a symbol. And so I want you to carry that feeling, that, that same sense, with you into this morning's passage. Now, Jesus is not a terrorist, but he does pick the key symbol of Jewish life in the first century to make a statement, to make a prophetic statement. And that's where we're gonna, that's where we're gonna sit this morning, is as Jesus comes and says something against the symbol of Jewish life there in the first century. We pick up Mark chapter 11. We're going to pick up with verse 12. So he's just entered Jerusalem. He looked around, then he left. But now he's going to go back. Chapter 11, verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May not want no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they had feared, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they, what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whenever you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins." Interesting passage, a lot going on there. And it, when we take the whole passage as a whole, we see it as a sandwich. So it really is a sandwich. We're going to put a slide up to show you the sandwich. I tried to make this look like a real sandwich by playing with the fonts. So you have the fig tree judgment. So when he leaves Bethany, he sees a fig tree, we see judgment. He curses the tree. Then we see the temple judgment. So he has, there's a judgment that happens in the temple. And then on the other side of that, on the bottom slice, is that fig tree judgment again. Peter sees it and declares, hey, you cursed it, and now it's withered. 
And so that's the form of the passage. Now, it's interesting because the passage starts here with the fig tree judgment, which really, when you look at it at face value, seems like a very odd thing to do. You have a fig tree that should not be yet in bloom. It should not yet be producing figs. And Jesus judges it for doing the very thing it should be doing. It should just be flowering, then comes figs. It's not season for figs. So Jesus looks, hungry, well, as he's hungry, looks, and it's doing the very thing it's supposed to be doing, and he says, cursed. Now, interesting. You would think if it, if it should have been producing figs, and then it didn't produce figs, then it should be cursed. But this is not just a matter of cursing a tree. Jesus is standing in a long tradition of the prophets where they would declare a message in dramatic form. And so the fig tree actually stands in as a parable for what is coming. You see, the fig tree is doing what it's doing, and Jesus pronounces judgment. And what we're about to see is Jesus will walk into the temple, and everything is going just as it should be. That is, just as it has been going, just as it has been happening for years. And that's when judgment will come. It'll come when you least expect it. You wouldn't expect it here at the fig tree, just as you're not going to expect it at the temple. And so here, in micro form, you have a dramatic declaration of judgment that foreshadows what's about to happen when he walks into Jerusalem. And so that's what's happening here with the fig tree. And then it's going to be bookended, the temple judgment will be bookended with that same parable of the fig tree. And so it gives us meaning for what's happening in the temple. We want to understand that what's happening in the temple is what has been happening for years. It's what you would expect, just like you would expect there to be no figs yet on the fig tree. So Jesus walks into the temple, and he starts turning tables, driving people away. And we often look at that passage and say, oh my gosh, you should never have the commercialization of religion happening in the same place. The real the problem here is that you have, you have money changers. You have people abusing the system. And this is really a matter of mixing money and religion. But there is a lot more going on. And we know it because Jesus here quotes two passages out of the Old Testament. And any time Jesus hyperlinks to the Old Testament, those people listening who have been saturated in those stories, in those scriptures, they they begin to see the whole passage. So, you, if I, again, we kind of had this last week. If I say 1776 to you Americans, you immediately see a much broader story. If I go to India and say 1776, nothing. I'm not hyperlinking to anything there. But if I say it here, you get a wider story. So when Jesus quotes these two passages, he immediately hyperlinks to a broader picture. And that's what we need to see because what Jesus is doing is not just judging the mixture of money and religion. He's got a much larger picture in mind. And that's what we want to see. So let's take a look at that first slide. He says first in verse 17, he says, It is not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Here he's quoting Isaiah 56, verse 7. When they heard Isaiah 56, 7, they saw the passage that verse sat in. That's what I want to do. I want you to take you to that passage, and I want you to see the wider picture. Here's what Isaiah 56, we're going to look at verses 3 through 7. We'll, we'll take an excerpt here. It's a longer passage, but we'll get the sense. 
It starts here, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, no foreigner, no, not a Jew, a foreigner, an outsider, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name. Better than sons and daughters and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You see the vision God has of his holy city, Mount Zion, the temple? It will be a vi- it's a vision of inclusion. It will be a place one day where all nations will come and be accepted if they will bind themselves to the Lord. And God always had a vision for the temple to be a place where all nations would come. See, the temple was established as the place where God would bring heaven and earth together. And when heaven and earth come together, all people will be drawn. Israel would not just be a light to Israel, Israel would be a light to the nations. So that when the story of Israel is fulfilled, it breaks out like a lamp across the globe, and they rush to that place where heaven and earth come together. Here it will be the temple. But what do you find happening in Jesus' day? You have the leaders of the Jewish people establishing a system to rid themselves of the enemy, to remove Rome, and then establish themselves as the one and only kingdom on earth. There's no room for the Greeks. There's no room for the Romans. There's no room for those from Asia, from Spain. There's no room for anyone else but the Jews. The Israel's vocation was to bring all nations every outsider, every marginalized person who would bind themselves to the Lord to come to that place where heaven and earth are joined and find peace. They would be given a new name. But the Jewish leader said, no, no. We will be number one, and it will be our way or the highway. And so the system had, at that point was a system of exclusion. And Jesus looks and he sees exclusion. Not only, not only is, it, is the non-Jew excluded, but even the weak and the marginalized and the poor. If you don't have the means to get your sacrifice to the idol, I'm so sorry, this isn't going to be your place. And so Jesus looks at that and says, you have failed in your vocation. And this really is a judgment against the temple. And one day we know the temple will be judged, it will be destroyed, and it will never be rebuilt. Interestingly, if we fast forward, Jesus will eventually say, he is the temple. And when you get caught up into his life, you're part of the temple. Paul will say, we are the body of Christ. But that's to get ahead of ourselves. Let's look at the other thing Jesus says. So he quotes another passage. The other thing he says in Mark 11.17 is, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now there he's quoting Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11. And like Isaiah 56, when they hear Jeremiah 7, 11, they then, they then see a much wider passage where God brought a judgment against the temple. 
Take a look, Jeremiah 7. I want you to see that wider context that, that would have, Jesus would have been linking to. Jeremiah 7, we're going to take the second half of verse 2 in the, through the first half of verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who come through the gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods who have, you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house? And then he goes on, just after those verses, to say, you've made my house a house of robbers. Well, what does robbers mean? In context, it is all of those that act in unjustly. Those, those who oppress the weak and the marginalized. Those that keep those who keep those who are poor or innocent on the outside and also bring punishment or step on the backs of those that are weak so they can get ahead. All of that's happening in the temple in this moment. It had been happening in the day of Jeremiah and Jesus walks into the temple and things are happening as they always have. And he sees injustice and he calls it out. So again, this isn't just a matter of some people trying to make money in the center of the Jews' religious world. It is two things. It's two things. We're going to put them up on the screen just so we're very clear. Jesus' judgment is on exclusion and injustice. Those are the two things he's calling out in this moment. Israel was to be a place. Their vocation, their call to the world was to be a light to all people and to be a people of justice. Ah, they had failed on both counts as Jesus walks into the temple, and he casts judgment there. So there's two things we need to see happening in the temple. And then we know the fig tree withers, which is a sign that one day this judgment Jesus has cast on that day will eventually be fulfilled. And it's going to happen in the year 70 when Rome sacks Jerusalem, destroys the temple, and it is never rebuilt again. But again, that's a bit in the future. But we know it will happen, just as the fig tree also withers after Jesus curses it. Now, the passage ends with this really interesting teaching, right? On prayer, faith, and forgiveness of sins. Like, how does that all fit in? Well, there's a lot of debate among those who study the Bible all the time and get paid to do it. There's just not a lot of consensus of exactly what's happening here. I think the best guess is that Jesus is checking the disciples at this point. They have just seen Jesus walk into the temple, judge the leaders, and walk out. And if your guy, the guy you're following, goes in and shows some power, you probably, you're probably walking out saying, that's my guy. Yeah, don't mess with me. There may be this sense of pride again emerging in the disciples. And here Jesus, I think, teaches his disciples the same principles that he was teaching them when he taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer. So as you see some parallels, again, there's not consensus among Bible scholars over what Jesus is doing here. I think this is the best guess, and I think the parallels 
tell us this might be just what Jesus is doing. So take a look. I want you to see the parallels. So he says here in Mark 11, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. I think this links with, in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the key phrase in Mark 11 is when Jesus says, this mountain. What mountain? Well, we know Jesus is headed back to Jerusalem. It sits on a mountain, and he's just, he's just judged the city for their exclusion and their injustice. And now he's walking back into the city and says, if, if, You say to that mountain, into the sea, which is to be done away with. To the system to be replaced or removed. That's what he's just taught them with the judgment at the temple. I think what Jesus is saying here is if you pray for the kingdom to come, which is another version of saying for the temple to be removed, if you pray for God's kingdom to come, then believe it will. I think that's similar to praying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And so I think there's a link here. Now, as you're praying that prayer, don't forget that you have to always check your own life, which I think there's a link here. So take a look, Mark 11, we'll go back to what Jesus says. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. I think this links with forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we also have forgiven our debtors or our trespassers. As you pray for God to do a new thing in Jerusalem, you don't forget to forgive those who have sinned against you so that your Father forgives your sins. I think that's very similar to you pray God's kingdom come, His will be done on earth as in heaven, and you make sure to forgive others who have sinned against you. I think these two passages have par- are paralleled. And what it teaches us is even as you bring judgment, even as you call forth God's presence, you always have a check on your own life. There's always got to be self-awareness because if you and I think we have it figured out, that's probably the very place where we don't. So we're going to make some application. Make some application. There are a lot going on there. And since I only have 20 minutes and may be overstepping already, we got to move forward. Application. There's two levels of application, I think, on this. There's a broad application, and that's where we're going to start, and then we'll move to something a little more personal. Take a look. This is what one Bible scholar says. He's British. You'll notice the spelling of sinners, and you'll know why, because he's British. He says this, if we applied it today, that is the cleansing of the temple, the 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 removing of the money changers. If we apply it today, it wouldn't just be the churches that ought to tremble, but the law courts and legislative assemblies, the royal palaces and banking centers, the places where power is so often wielded to the benefit of the already powerful and the uh, down-treading of the already powerless, the places where people with power or wealth turn in on themselves instead of outwards in generosity towards the world. Now, that seems quite timely for a lot of reasons. I imagine you heard in the news, just like I heard in the news, that some of the companies getting some of the small business loans weren't so small. I remember when that all happened during the recession of 2008, 2009. Some people getting bailouts 
had a lot of money before the fallout. Greed is not a new thing in our world. Inward focus is not a new thing. Corporate greed, not a new thing. Injustice, not a new thing. George Floyd is all over the news right now. And it depends on what news station you're watching to see how to interpret all that. There's a lot, there a lot to cut through. But we do know this. We know that there are communities in our country that have been oppressed by power. That's just true. We also know there are communities, who, low-income communities, who continue to abuse the system. We know that too. There's a lot of just un, injustice to go around. But man, this is timely. And so we want to be on the lookout for wherever injustice is happening. And we better, we better be very careful not to reduce this to a simple story. This is not just Black Lives Matter. This isn't just All Lives Matter. This is a story writ much larger across the human condition. And so we'd be careful not to write anyone off and give them a clean bill of innocence, even ourselves. This is where it gets a little more personal. So let me say it this way. God's kingdom taking over our lives means that God is going to weed out those places in our lives where darkness still lives. Here I want us to imagine Jesus not stepping into a system, a government system, a legal system. I want, him, I want you to imagine him stepping into your temple and clearing house. What's Jesus going to clear? What darkness inside of you would he be clearing? That's the thing I'm, I'm asking myself. So th- this, is like, em- this brings up some questions that emerge from those passages that Jesus was linking to in the Old Testament. Here are some, pa- here are some questions I'm asking. Let's go to that slide. Do I exclude people? Do I hurt other people? Do I forgive those who hurt me? If I'm honest on all those questions, it's yes, yes, and maybe. That's what that looks like. That's what that looks like. I do exclude people. I was running the other day, running the other day. It was, in, it was like uh, two weeks ago, and this was when in the news you saw lots of images of rioting and looting and fires in the street. And there were two African males walking in front of me. They were, they were crossing in front of the high school. You know what my immediate thought was? Do I go another way? What? I didn't know those guys. What inside of me immediately says, run away, exclude, danger? It's because of a lot of the images I put inside of me. Now i got to check that. Now, could they have been dangerous? Yeah. But when I got close, yeah, no problem. But I need to recognize that inside of me. Do you see why this is like gets personal? This is, I'm not saying anything about you. I just know that I exclude people. Like when someone called and wanted food, and I took food from the church to their house, and they didn't answer the door. Days later, I go back, no one there. So there were a family outside two doors down, and I gave them the food. If you want food and you're hungry, why didn't you answer your door? Why were you not home? Well, I don't have the answer to that. You see why I get frustrated? You get frustrated too, I bet. But i got to start asking questions about who do I exclude and why do I exclude them. It's just stuff I'm asking. This is the stuff Jesus will draw out of us. And man, I don't like to forgive. So we're just not going to go there.
Let's go on. Here's a bigger point. The kingdom of God calls me to be a person of justice and peace, to be inclusive, loving, and ready to forgive. That's what he calls, like, like that's your vocation and my vocation. So let's take the, a next step. Let's drive it down. This is just a timely next step. You'll see how it works out here in a second. Take a next step towards understanding someone different than you. Now, let's take this out, out of the political, social context of the last two weeks. You got anybody in the church you don't like? Don't shake, don't shake, don't do anything. Just, just sit there, stoic. But I'm sure over the years, there have been some people that rubbed you the wrong way. They're different than you. They do things and say things that you wouldn't say. And we have a way of distancing ourselves from those people. It's a lot easier to distance yourself than to have a conversation. This happens in churches all the time. You know the other place this happens? The workplace. This happens all the time in the workplace. You know the annoying coworker that you work with. You know they're wrong. You know they do silly things. And you don't know why they do them. So what do you do? You avoid them. And some of you are of the disposition you'll confront them. But this next step is a call to love. And I'm not saying to be best friends. I'm saying you take one step, that was, I guess, two, one, one step to understand them. And that often starts with a conversation. Do you see how this can work out? Also, it can work out in your family. I'm just going to let you make all the application there. Jeff, you just can't, no eyes that way. Don't do that. I'm so sorry, Mary and Effie. I mean, I was trying. No, okay. Um, so, we're small enough we can do that, right? All right. Uh, you don't even want to know what Ollie was doing. I mean, I... I, whew, yeah, like I think he's going to come forward and get baptized. <laughs> he's going to have to repent that much. Um, so, but let me, let, me, let me put it in the context of these last two weeks. So, whatever you think about whatever's happening in our country, it is complex. You know why I don't make a public statement on Facebook? Because if I did that, I'd get flack from someone. You know what I'd rather do? I'd rather have a conversation, although it's one way, I get it. But I'd rather do it in the context of the scriptures, and I'd rather you know where my heart comes from if I say anything about it. What I know after watching these last two weeks and then carrying with me all of my time doing graduate work in U.S. history, which included the history of slavery, is that there has been an issue of racial injustice in our country. And then I know that I don't have a lot of African-American friends. I'm not saying that is the problem. But what I know is I might need to have more conversations than I've had over the last few years. So I sent a message to a few African-American professionals that I know and just said I was thinking about them. I was blown away by the stories they shared with me and their own angst. It wasn't political. It wasn't political. They didn't blame white people. They shared out of their own pain and experience. And it was personal. I wasn't going to put anything on Facebook. And I'm not telling you to do that or not to do that. I'm saying for me in my position, I wanted to go one-on-one. -on -one. And then I called an African-American pastor in this town who I have a connection to by way of a relationship from the church I came from. And I said... We I talked with him before I came here to learn about the town, and I haven't talked to him since. 
And I said, hey, would you like to grab lunch when I get back from the beach? He said, let's do that. We have no agenda. I literally just want to have a conversation with someone that has a different color skin than me and probably has a different experience in this world than me. And at some point, I probably need to have lunch with someone that's poor. Because I imagine they've had a much different experience in this world than me, who has never gone hungry. Do you see my point here? My point is to evaluate where you are. But let us not lop off all that is happening in our country as just politics and extremism. There may be something here that we can do in our personal, our individual lives. And I have no idea what Jesus is doing inside of you. I just know that for me, it was a moment to take a step and get to know someone that's different than me. And this is really the call, the vocation that Jesus sets up. We are long on time. This is not a 45-minute service. So you will have to forgive me. If you don't, you're not listening to Jesus. I want to read one more passage. I, have it, I had it in the hopper. I didn't know if I'd want to use it or not. Everything I just said is coming right out of the own lived experience Paul lived. I just gave you different application. He had, he had different categories. Same root issue. Here's what he said to the Colossians, which was really a ragtag group of diverse people. He says this, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Last thing I want to say is I don't care how good American democracy is, you're not fixing these problems at the root without Jesus. And that's not a pat answer. You don't get unity through a political solution. You get it through Jesus. And you're not going to turn the country into a church. That's why we start with us. That's why we start with us. So let's be careful of anger and wrath and malice. And in the church, move towards one another. So start with what this looks like between us. And every person I reached out to that was different than me was a follower of Jesus. That's where I start. And I don't know what God's going to do. But we'll start there. All right. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do whatever work needs to be done from here on out. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray for you to work on us. Maybe you're going to just work right in our homes, literally right in our homes with people that are different than us. I know I'm going to the beach with people that are different than me here in just a little bit. I'm going to need you to help me with that too. I pray that you would help us to be inclusive, full of love, but also just. Would you help our brothers and sisters who are Christians to execute justice because they're going to need help in the weeks to come. We also pray for our brothers and sisters of different skin color who have different experiences than we might even know about. Would you help them too? I pray for the day when the new Jerusalem and the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth is full of people of every tribe, every language, and every tongue, and people of every personality type. So help us to be those people of peace. Thank you for the scriptures to teach us. Thank you for forgiveness. 
Help us to forgive as you forgive us. We pray that in the name of Jesus. 